clank, clank, <laughs> chains coming down the hallway. <laughs> Door opening. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> By the pricking of my <laughs> And Jake pushes the microphone away in disgust, only for the ball to be picked up by Brandon, who finishes the intro and his oh, who does his own p- mic creepy mic push. I either something that's something wicked this way comes coming up next. Welcome to the third episode of the Something Wicked This Way Comes. I'm Nathan Alberson, your humble and obedient ghost, welcoming you to the bookening once again. And we're joined by the pastor's master bleeding, Jake Menskiller. How you doing, Jake? What's up? We remember from last episode, you do your killing in silence. And it is awfully silent. Right it has now. been very silent. <laughs> Can you hear your own heartbeat? I can't. Actually, yeah, I'm actually kind of scared. <laughs> That's how quiet I like it to be. <laughs> Is Jake killing someone right now? You'll never know. You'll never know. You know it's silent, so he could be. <laughs> <laughs> Is Jake killing someone right now? La 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 la. Nope, he can't. It's loud and obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, right, he's Jake Banks Keller. He's a scholar who's a, uh, no, what are you? He's the pastor who's a master of bleeding. We've also got <laughs> making a very horrific face over there. What are you, Brandon? I forgot what your Halloween name is. Scholar. Who's a mauler. <laughs> bleeding. <laughs> bleeding. It's a nonsensical name. <laughs> How about the scholar? Who's a baller? A feeding upon human flesh. Okay, there we go. <laughs> is that better? No. How about the scholar? Who's a mauler? A feeding upon blood. <laughs> Is that better? Sure. <laughs> but I've got it. How about the scholar who's a baller? A feeding on your soul. Ooh, I like that one. No, you like that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. You're the scholar who's a baller. Or what are you? Scholar of baller of feeding on your soul. Yep. That's why I've got that mirror maze at my house. <laughs> a, 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 a sinister Mephistophelian figure is Brandon Chastine. Yeah, all these tattoos. Oh, he's got all these tattoos. He's got a pterodactyl. That's right. And a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> Tyrannosaurus Rex. Uh, Brandon's a creepy guy. He's got a, your faces tattooed on my palms. He's got, <laughs> he's got me and Jake's faces. And uh, Jake, his face kills in silence. Messed <laughs> with the wrong guy. <laughs> you got to be careful about Jake. You don't get to become the CEO of Warhorn Media without... Uh, yeah, I got it. You know, behind every great man is trail of bodies a trail of bodies <laughs> <laughs> a lot of feet covered in cement yep oh uh, we got to do our now our everyone's favorite segment donor scream outs of course the creepy halloween version of donor uh, shout outs and brandon's still going to be doing his <laughs> spooky sterling awesome job as 
the creepy announcer guy. There we go. You ready for this, Brandon? Always. Extra spooky this time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All we're right. smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, we got our uh, Beth. Beth. Ah! <laughs> uh, we got our John and Jill. John and Jill. Oh! <laughs> Eric and Catherine. Eric and Catherine. Ah! <laughs> Tarzan there. Ah. <laughs> uh, Rhonda and Robert. Rhonda and Robert. Mr. X. Mr. X. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to, uh, no, we gotta give it. Is this the last one? Yeah. Yeah. Alright, All right. let's give it let's give it a good one. Okay, folks, that should take us right into episode three. Uh, let me quicker this way comes. <laughs> Let's talk about evil. You guys ready to talk about some evil? Let's do I'm from it. Evil. You're from evil? Evil, Evansville. Represent the Ville. Evil. Evil. Do you guys have a march or a chant or evil traffic? Yeah, Brandon just went and saw the eclipse. Nope. I did. It was life-changing. <laughs> Change your life. You yeah. cried. You looked mm-hmm. up at the cosmos and realized you're but a small speck, although you're made That's of right. star grass, star grass, stardust, as uh, Mr. DeGrasse Tyson tells us. And uh, Yes, and then thought, I am one lucky monkey. <laughs> I had an astronomy professor once tell us that he liked to go out and watch the meteor showers, and he would sit back with his wife and his children next to him, and he would put his hands behind his head, and he would see a meteor streak across the sky and then think to himself, I'm one lucky monkey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. Good for him. Evil. Jake's from Evil, Evansville. And so he knows all about evil. So he'll tell us, what do you think about the depiction of evil in Something Wicked This Way Comes, Jacob? That's a pretty broad question. I'm not that is quite a pretty sure broad question. Um, well, did you find the book to be scary at all or creepy? Or how did this, what, what kind of feelings did the book evoke in you? Um, you said you enjoyed it, but what what were you feeling? It, it definitely had its creepy moments for sure. I, I don't, I'm not sure I can cop to being scared, but it was, it was creepy for sure. I've never read a book in my life and been scared in the sense of, oh no, I. I can't, can't go, go to, to bed sleep now. Or, oh, yeah. you know. or if I have, it's not been a horror book. It's been a book that just talks about something so awful and wicked or something. You know, there are books that are powerful in a, but you know what I mean? Well, so evil comes to small, wholesome middle America and you've got risk averse will, but caring and the good sense of right and wrong and a, a real love and compassion for his friend. And he's got to rise up and fight evil and be a hero and you got charles who's 
scared and timid too and thinks he's can't possibly be a good dad and he's got to decide to lay down and die or rise up and protect his son and you got Jim who evil preys upon those who don't have in this book evil preys upon those who don't have community who don't have love who don't who are lonely mm-hmm. it's the lonely people that evil preys on and Jim doesn't have a dad and he has an overbearing mom so he's like out for freedom and he's gonna do his own thing and the thing that you tell him no is the thing that he's gonna lean into even if he knows better um, and it's vying for Jim and fighting for Jim the evil is threatening to swallow him up as apparent from the first chapter, the lightning rod salesman says, Storm's lightning's going to hit your house. It's going to fry your mom and you. You better put this rod up. And then Jim's like, I'm not going to put the lightning rod up. What are you talking and, about? And Will's like, yes, you are. Right. You know, and then yeah, Jim's going to go take it down after Will puts it up or makes him put it up. In that sense, you know, evil is this thing that comes in and you have, you have to respond to it. And you're either going to give into it or cower before it or stand against it no matter how small and inf- insignificant and dumb it seems. And we get heroes that stand against it. Mm-hmm. So seeing that transformation or transition, seeing seeing the, the hero come out in Will and in Charles and seeing the struggle in Jim. And I mean, I think of it more, uh, less in terms of like, okay, you got evil and it's a really strong depiction shows up at 3 a.m. this creepy civil war era train mm-hmm. all of the accoutrement the, whistle with the all the cries of the damned and yeah then, all that stuff yeah. you know it's all, all all the trappings are are there and it is creepy and mr dark is creepy and a a, a wonderful embodiment of kind of of pure evil and mm-hmm. and so it's, it's it's well done in that um you know the dust witch and she uh, all of those elements are just really really great but that struggle down in the, down in the in the storm drain or whatever it is hiding and the scene in the library i you know i'm just gonna just randomly say random scenes from the yeah from the book and yeah so there's evil and then how do you fight evil you don't take yourself so seriously stop taking yourself seriously and you accept the fact that you're all gonna die we're all gonna die and uh we all kind of suck and that's okay and you learn to laugh at yourself and then you can laugh in the face of evil and turns out the magic of laughter is <laughs> is <laughs> 10 so times as potent as the Do you even bring people back from as the, the magic of suffer sorrow and suffering and yeah whatever else and it's like the care bearer we care who yeah. <laughs> what, what what was your point of sympathy like which character did you like when i read the book the first time i remember Jim all the way. Jim, yeah. Jim, 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 of course, Jim. I want to look through that window. I was a kind of kid, you know, I was definitely as, you know, if, you, if you've listened to the book and all, you know, I'm that kind of guy. I want to see what's, what those people are doing in their weird theater of naked flesh or whatever. And uh, I'd like to get on that merry-go-round and know all the secrets of whatever adult life holds, you know, who wants to be a kid, you know? I mean, I, I remember that being strong and in my first reading when i was jim basically jim and will's age i think i read the book and it was just like i completely understood jim on the carousel sort of reaching his arm out so will could grab him but also not really able to throw himself off or let go and he was completely my point reading it this time mr holloway i thought was much more the protagonist of the book yeah Yeah. it's just uh it's an interesting shift in you know uh, maybe an obvious shift in perception just the one from being a kid to being an adult but that's one thing i did appreciate about the book is that i do think mr holloway is the protagonist yeah, well, at least he's really the hero. sweet mm-hmm. that dad yeah. gets to be the hero. Yeah. yeah. You don't get that in a lot of stories. No. But Will, I mean, the, both the boys are saved by Mr. Holloway. Mm-hmm. And that moment where um, 
I mean, it almost brought me to tears when he asks um, who's going to shoot the gun. And then he says here, and then the crowd splits and it's like a Western showdown. <laughs> yeah. And he's just standing there. You're just, mm. You want to like cheer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, I think I did kind of cheer. Yeah, yes. no, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And he's, yeah, his arm, his hand's been crushed and Mr. Dark thinks he's basically dead and Mr. Dark is like, oh, crap. He has a, a lot of little moments that lead up to that that are really sweet too. Just down to the fact that for no reason he can t- he can tell, he just said, my name's Charles Holloway and I'm the janitor at the library. Come visit me sometime. Yeah. You know, stares him in the face and says that. And it's like, right. Nice. Yeah. In answer to your question, Will and Charles were definitely who I was resonating with. Not the, Jim, though. That's interesting. Less Jim, yeah. More the timid, I don't want to, I would rather, I don't, I'm not going to lean in, I'm not going to, I don't want to get up and go to this carnival. But but, but sort of rooting for Will and, and hoping and hoping that I would have the courage to follow Jim into darkness anyway to, to help or hoping that I would have the courage and the faith to step up like Charles and protect <laughs> my son and those mm-hmm. boys, th- those sorts of things were my points of sympathy. I'm the same. I sympathized the most with Mr. Holloway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I did too. I did too. I want to talk about Mr. Holloway a little bit later, but as far as the, we're still talking about the, the evil or yeah, the depiction of it. Yeah. Well, I think Jake has touched on it. The evil is supposed to seem significant because it, it's weird and it's, it, but it, all the weirdness has to do with death. Mm-hmm. And so Mr. Electrico, when he, or Cougar, when he becomes Mr. Electrico, the horror of it is seeing somebody be older than he should be. Right. And seeing the body decay. It's like that moment. That he it, dies because they drop him. <laughs> By the way, he dies like this terrible, this horrific and yet kind of Yeah, it was weird, death. but he just sort of just like... Yeah. fades into the wind or something right i think he just like literally falls out of the chair is what i kind yeah. of pictured like the they're trying to c- carry him quickly to the carousel i thought that they just jostled him and i yeah, didn't even i guess he kind of just kind of like it's bounced yeah, I don't know. and it was just the bounce yeah that's either how way, i imagine either it. way it's yeah. just like they're yeah. going too fast and he's just like poof yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but that is where a lot of the horror from in the book comes from is like one of the scenes that terrified me as a kid was the holy grail uh, the Last Crusade, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones, yeah. when the guy takes a drink he and then he pulls skin and he yeah. just decays yeah. and dissipates into uh, dust when Indiana uh, Jones pushes him off. Right. But it, you get a lot of that sort of bodily horror mm-hmm. in The Witch, the same uh, when she is able to stitch their eyes and stuff shut. Yeah, that's creepy. And the moss fills their ears and The Witch herself is, most of her horror comes from just her old decaying body mm-hmm. or the little dwarf and his camera eyes, which that was strange. I don't yeah. Know yeah. How they did that, but it is a nice job of giving you just enough, not much, but just enough sympathy for all the freaks that you're just, you kind of know that they're all people that Mr. Dark lured into his trap. Even the yeah. dust, Witch, we get some reference to who she might've been, you well, know, he bites and, that tattoo of her, right? Right. Like, yeah. He's got tattoos of all of them on his flesh and we don't, I guess we don't yeah. really know whether he's just supposed to be purely demonic or whether he's in fact, did we part of something bigger, whether he's, um, Mr. Halloway hints that he's just part of something bigger, right? but he's figured out, but they're all ancient. That's yeah. for sure. But How he just ancient, has this ancient magic. We can't that, really, I mean, there's the obvious, the big allegorical picture is this is a struggle between good and evil. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you have Mr. Dark is evil incarnate right, and temptation. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think that the obvious overtone to being tempted is all throughout the book sure. and fighting temptation and having Tim. And even, I mean, Mr. Holloway's tempted. Will is tempted in that when they first 
I don't know, how do you say it, Calliope or Cal- Calliope? Calliope. Calliope. Yeah. When they hear the music, even at the end, Will, for a m- moment, is rushing towards it again. I even think he says it's a peach smell, right? Mm, yeah, peach smell. And I like when they're all standing around the carousel at the end after Mr. Dark is dead and 10 years back said, thinks Mr. Holloway and five years forward, they all think like, uh, we could just... And you really, I, I sort of was like, come on, guys, just do it real quick. Then you can break the control box. Like, you know, what the heck? And then you get that layer of Mr. Holloway makes the point that when he had said that what if they were already here? Right. That boys realize what he meant. Oh, wait, we could be. (laughs) (laughs) We could be them. And then they get off. I thought Bradbury in this reading, uh, I thought he did a really nice job of giving evil its due, making it suitably creepy and mysterious, but also not like in a Stephen King story. If uh, Stephen King wrote one, it's called Needful Things. It's about a little shop owner that comes to a small town, sets up a little store called Needful Things. And it had, you know, you go into the shop and it has the thing that your heart, you know, that thing that you've been wanting, the thing that you thought was destroyed 20 years ago. And if, you know, he's got that thing and he's going to give it to you, but it's going to cost you your soul. But um, I thought he did a nice job of allowing the evil to be mysterious and kind of creepy and cool, but without giving it power that it doesn't have in real life, I guess. I don't I don't know how to say it, but a lot of books like that, you know, a lot of these kinds of stories basically exist in a very godless universe where the devil is the supreme being. And that's not what Ray Bradbury believes. He, he may not have, be a Christian, but... Yeah, there's definitely, it's not, um, they're not lucking into defeating evil. They're defeating evil because they figure out the way that love triumphs. And because Mr. Dark and That's why not... he says, he says, like Charles at some point, he's like, we win by love. I'm not sure right. how yet, but it's by love that we win. Mm-hmm. And then, and Mr. Dark and the witch are both scared by the end because their powers are really limited. The evil really in the Bradbury verse only has the, as Mr. Holloway says, I think evil has the power that we give to it. Mr. Dark is powerless. If you call his bluff, he doesn't, he doesn't have anything, which I think is resonant and, and true in some ways. Yeah. And Bradbury also <clears throat> acknowledges how powerful temptation is. And that does conquer most mm-hmm. people. I mean, in the end, it is just those three that are wise to what's going on and defeat. Right. Dark, and he's been at this for how many years? How many towns has he gone to? Countless. I, I and thought centuries, you, probably. Yeah, and you get yeah, the sense that Charles and Will, they're the first that ever stood up to him. Right. And so, so evil is powerful. Evil does have a strength to it. But the strength is in our temptation to give ourselves to it. Not in that it's some, like, dark, foreboding being that has more power than it should. Right. It's limited, like you said. Limited, like in well, the Lord Jim of the had, Rings or something. Jim had somebody that turns out Jim was a bad target. You know, Mrs. What's Her Face was a good target. Mrs. Foley, yeah. Mrs. Mrs. Foley was a good target. She lived alone. She was nobody. She was a school teacher. She was lonely. She was vain. She was vulnerable. There wasn't anybody there to protect her or save her or care. Right. And so she just went missing. And same with the lightning rod salesman. And I guess was it the was it the barber? Or? Can never figure out whether the barber got it or not. Yeah, he can't because he, he said like mm-hmm. ill or yeah, 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 or something. I don't know. Mr. Cosetti was he the one that saw the ice woman though? In the no, that's the that lightning rod. No, that was the lightning rod salesman. That's right. Yeah. yeah, which that was a weird little. Yeah, thing. but um, but so Jim looks like an easy target, but he was the wrong target because he had somebody that loved him enough to and could resist the temptations. I don't know. I mean, I thought. I thought Bradbury did a nice job with the temptation. I certainly sympathized with why you would want to, why you would be tempted by Mr. Dark. He didn't overdo it. Carousel is a powerful idea. Great idea. Great idea for like a, just a fantasy 
It's a great thing, as we've said about before, I think about fantasy is that you can just do the most obvious metaphors and do them big and it works somehow in that format. It doesn't feel cheesy. It doesn't feel like it's just a parable, but it's a machine that makes you older or younger for crying out loud. I mean, it's pretty on the nose, but... I'm vain. I want to be younger. I'm afraid that I can't relate to my son and I'm going to... I want to be younger. I'm a boy who's 13 and wants to have the world and just not there yet and i just that much more more older that actually there were two things that really creeped me out this time i don't know how to explain it at all but the idea of jim suddenly being 20 is actually a really creepy idea well yeah and charles we actually get exposition of what what it does to you you think you're going to get what you want but the reality is the very thing you think you want is going to isolate you further from everybody else you're going to have nothing left but the carnival because you will still be a 13 year old boy in a 20 year old body and therefore you will be a freak and the worst fate that happens is mrs fully i mean that's a really sad scary scene when she's a little girl and she just doesn't what's she going to do but turn to the carnival she's she's an old lady in a in the body of a little girl and she's got nobody where else is she going to go or who else is she going to turn to? That's it. All she has, she's completely isolated and she's isolated from the world by the fulfillment of her own perverse vanity, right. less for something that was not hers to have because she couldn't be content with her life as it was. Which is why the uh, mirrors as the means of stealing the souls is a good, it's a good metaphor. Yeah. Because all it does is it just multiplies you. And all you can do is look at your own reflection. So it's like narcissism multiplied times a hundred. Yeah. And so that is one of the themes is the way you defeat yourself is by completely forgetting yourself. Mm-hmm. Laughing at yourself. Yeah, laughing, laughing at yourself. yourself. Not, yeah. You laugh at yourself. You laugh at how small life is. You laugh at how stupid evil is in the end. Mm-hmm. Just how small it is and insignificant it is. And then you hug it to death. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you bring your best friends back to life with... Uh, By laughing and singing. Singing. And losing your mind and then slapping your son. Right, slapping your son around, <laughs> slapping those tears right out of his eyes. <laughs> and we might have gone a little off the rails there at the yeah. end. Yeah, so okay, should we just say it? The ending's a little bit cheesy. <laughs> it's pretty the ending cheesy. was weird. Yeah. I didn't really mind him hugging Mr. Dark to death. I, I thought, didn't mind... Mr. Dark, I really thought better of like, Mr. Dark, that was a crappy plan. You should have, you, you, you crushed Mr. Holloway's hand with your hand earlier in the book. You really seemed like you were powerful enough to just deal with these guys. Why'd you just get all scared? I guess, I guess it works metaphorically because it's like once you, once you take away his power, once you. Well, he killed the witch with a wax bullet. Yeah, that's true. I mean, this guy had figured something out. Right. And so Dark knew that it was, and then Cougar collapses into dust and everything's beginning to fall apart. I guess it makes sense. And all Dark has is his tricks. I mean. And I think, yeah. Presumably he he had a very nasty fate lined up for Mr. Holloway if he'd got him. Around the corner. Around the corner. Yeah, because that's one of the nice things about this book is you know that he has the ability to do horrible things. Somehow he turned the lightning rod into a dwarf camera. Right, (laughs) a dwarf camera. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And somehow he turned the skeleton into whatever the skeleton is and all these people into who they are. He has the machinery to do these horrible Mm -hmm. body horror things, but you never see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I actually thought the lightning salesman was going to be like some prophetic figure throughout the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize he was It's really weird that he became one of the freaks, I thought. Like, he shows up and he's like... I thought he was going to be... Yeah, he's like a harbinger of of doom, you know, setting the... He's like a... Yeah, I thought he was going to be like like a the witches in Macbeth, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then Bradbury says he's a guy that came ahead of the doom his whole life, 
predicted it to other people and never faced it himself. And yeah. now he gets to be Mr. Dark's dwarf camera. So I, I bought that once he said it. Yeah. I did think he was going to be like a Van Helsing or something yeah, yeah. and have the secret runes that would help. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Be a um, method of exposition. <laughs> but hey, Bradbury's better than that. Yeah. 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 He is. Yeah. I, and reading it this time, I thought uh, Mr. Dark really worked for me well. Of all the, I mean, and since Bradbury wrote this book, there's been a ton of short stories and books written specifically referencing this one and just ripping it off without bothering to reference it but obviously these sort of mephistophelian yeah. is that right brandon yeah uh these figures go back to faust and all that kind of stuff but i really think mr dark's one of the best he, I, I really like the fact that he doesn't overdo it mr dark you never really get to see all of mr dark's cards and i think with this kind of stuff what you don't see is always scarier than what you do like like brandon was saying you don't see what he actually does and how he warps all these people and that yeah. makes it scarier you really get the impression he could probably burn down the library. He could probably unleash hell if he wanted to, but he's just always toying with them because he's, he thinks he's that much better. And so he can afford to kind of play poker. And I think the things he does do are really creepy. Like I thought it was creepy when he's in the library, you know, he, he's kind of toying with Mr. Holloway. He throws the Bible in the trash and everything. And, yeah. but then suddenly he just in this feral way starts to just climb up the, the, book the bookshelf. And even that image, it's just like, oh, this is actually Satan we're dealing with, not just some slickster. And the idea, Jake, you pointed this out this afternoon when we were talking about it, about it. it's not as easy for us to realize how profane the tattoos would be right now because lots of people are tatted up. Yeah, lots of people are tatted up now, so it's just sort of a, a thing. But tattoos have always been associated with the occult, the, the occult, dark practices, dark symbols. Outlaw. Yeah, and foreign to like pagan. Right. That's what I what I mean to say. Very Celtic druid. Yeah, yeah. or and Mr. Dark leans into that. All this, he's got these weird occult symbols and ancient things and dinosaurs even. It's just like, how old is this guy? Did he maybe trap some dinosaur souls? I don't know. The dinosaurs <laughs> were pretty funny. Actually, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was one of the ones where maybe Bradbury hit a foul ball where it's like, and the pterodactyl was screaming upon his flesh. As, <laughs> you know, it's like, we really need a pterodactyl in this. <laughs> the velociraptors. <laughs> <laughs> we're cornering the... Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, it helped that I had, I kind of almost feel like I should just talk about the audiobooks that I listened to in Baggage because it, like Jake or one of you guys was saying earlier, I think you said in Fahrenheit 451, it really may have affected it that you had a... Yeah, I, I don't know how much it affected it or didn't. I don't know either. But the guy that I had read it, what he did do is really bring to life Mr. Electro. Of course, when they, when the boys bring the police and they're in the tent and they of course the lightning through him and he says like what does he say what's the line i dub the hisses at them yeah yeah yeah. he's just like i dub the i guess it doesn't it's not worth finding but this guy did a nice job with mr electro and mr dark was very he sort of gave mr dark a, a little british accent and uh he's very smooth and evil and it's just nicely done i recommend the audible version of this book I dubbed the asses and fools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I dubbed the Mr. Sickly and Mr. Pale. Yeah. The way the guy in the audio book did it was like, I dub the asses and fools. You just, you can imagine the electricity coursing through his veins and he's not, you don't even know whether he's talking or whether it's just, they're just manipulating his, his vocal cords. A short, sad life. Yes. For you both. Yeah. But the guy did it like a short, sad life. 
I don't know. It made me really long for the original, you know, Netflix or somebody to do the cinematic version because this movie would be awesome if somebody did their, did it right. Yeah, surely somebody will want. Yeah, there's a really crappy Disney movie. Don't bother, folks. If you're thinking about watching the Dis- the 1980s Disney movie, it's not that great. It's got some good parts, but overall, it's pretty cheesy and lame. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the good guys about uh charles holloway in particular you guys said he was the protagonist of the book and you liked him and sympathized with him well he's a introverted guy who doesn't know how to um, interact with his family and likes to spend all his time in a library (laughs) (laughs) we don't know any guys like that though (laughs) do we and then he's forced through this situation to man up and protect his child and he does it I mean, and at first you think it's going to be, I thought the way I was going to be disappointed, but I thought that if this was just a typical story, he was going to, you know, pass out and that he was going to come later, maybe, but not really do as much as the boys did. And the boys were actually going to end up saving the day. But then once they got captured and they were both silenced and muted and all that, I didn't know how they were going to get out of that situation. And it was nice that it was Charles who shows up to save them. And saves them in such like a John Wayne manner. It's such a it's such a little boy wish fulfillment kind of yeah. story, you know. This is the perfect story for the boy who's disenchanted with his dad, mm-hmm. yeah. and wants to believe that dad really can be Superman. He really can be John Wayne, yeah. and he really would be, you know, if it came down to it. He really would walk through the fires of hell for you. After yeah. all, you know that's the that's what you want. And so, yeah, pathetic janitor dad who is disengaged and not relating to his, is afraid and intimidated and insecure about relating to his teenage boy right at that critical time. And Mm -hmm. then evil comes to town and, you know, he rises up and he becomes awesome dad. Right. (laughs) And, and they bond and it's really sweet. Yeah. It's not just through rising up and fighting like that. It's also through just actually learning to engage with his son. So you have that, he keeps watching him wanting to run off with them and they make him just feel nostalgic but then they have that one moment where he actually what climbs the secret ladder with him yeah, and they laugh in the, the in the moments where it's there's a like a, a trust like uh, I'm gonna give my son the dignity of being something of a man right here and now mm-hmm. like I'm I'm not gonna treat him like a little boy little boys have to face evil too <laughs> and 13 year old boys surely better learn how to face evil and he's there for him he makes it safe for him suddenly they're able to talk and to bond on the back porch. He trusts him and, and then they end up working together to, it's really sweet. It's pretty It is. And it's part of, it's also him helping his son come of it, come of age. Mm. Yeah. When they go, uh, when they climb up onto the ladder, doesn't he say like, I'm not going to tell your mother, you don't tell her, she's just not going to understand or something. Like you won't tell her about the ladder. Am I just remembering that? Yeah, no, that, yeah, totally. Something along those lines. Yeah. Which made me, I didn't think of it until now, but this is a man's world that's very separate from... So there, he is writing about two different worlds. You have a woman's world, which has nothing to do with this world of this danger and risk and adventure that's happening here. Yeah, there's hardly Which is interesting. In I hadn't thought besides, of it. Yeah. There's the one scene where Mr. Dark kind of threatens his mom. And, or they're, they're She's both walking moms, with the other mom like, to like church. He gives the coincidence right. speech about, oh, it's a Dickensian yeah. coincidence. But the moms are just like oblivious. Yeah. Know. Yeah. They're in, we get so we they're get, only there to be in danger, right? We get Jim's mom. What we get like one scene with her, and it's her being overprotective or freaked yeah. out or something like that. Do we even hear Will's mom speak? I guess she's. I don't. I she feels may, like we mostly get her through Will. 
or through Charles I think talking through, about her it's, I think or I, thinking about her. The way place where I want to say maybe she speaks, it's just through like it's when Will's like listening through the wall and his dad's being like, oh, I don't know if I can love my son kind of. And as you hear his mom say, ah, oh, you're great. You know, yeah, you do get to see her there. It's but it's just where you first hear Charles and he talks a lot at night, mm. basically. So to and then he'll sneak off at three a.m. to go to the library again. I loved man the first time I read that it resonated with me and it resonates with me to this day. It's I've it's stayed with me all these years. The whole three a.m. thing just perfect. It's the hour of despair. It is the hour of despair. The, I don't know the the little thing he says about people in hospitals die. You know, hadn't he read somewhere that more people in hospitals die? To me, when I read that, I felt that was actually the moment that made me fall in love with the book because it was a moment of being. And this is the one of those wonderful things that happens every once in a while with a book, especially when you're young, where you just suddenly realize that an author completely gets you. Yeah. You didn't know that anyone in the whole wide world had ever felt this way before, but suddenly someone just nails it and they give words to it and it's you love that person like allegiance my allegiance is to ray bradbury you know and to charles hallway because they understand what it's like to be me and to be awake at three o'clock in the morning and to realize that the sun is far away and all the laughter and happiness of yesterday is far away and you're caught perfectly in this nexus of of unhappiness (laughs) unhappiness <laughs> i mean it's just like waking up at three o'clock in the morning is the worst thing in the world and i do it all the time i'm not somebody that sleeps very well at night ray bradbury just like maybe maybe everybody has that but i don't know i'd never heard anybody talk about it before then and i just i loved that part but uh anyway i don't know if that has anything to do with anything but i really liked the dad in reading it this time i was moved by i definitely sympathized with his insularity and his passivity yeah, and then it was just sweet to see him. All the all the moments that he gives Bradbury gives you, where he's like, "I should say something." And then there are moments specifically where Will's like, "Say something," and then he just says, "Be careful" or something like that in the hallway after yelling at him for being out too late. Or there is the place where yeah, Will is like, "Don't ask, I'll tell you more later," mm-hmm. and he's secretly wishing Dad would ask, right? But yeah. Dad doesn't, right? Yeah, you had just have one of those awkward moments where Will's like, I don't really want to bear this on my own. (laughs) Really? I feel like I should. And Charles is like, I'm not really sure I should let him bear whatever that is on his own, but I feel like I should. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I had those moments with my dad. I'm sure you've probably had moments now from both directions. Absolutely. Where you're like, oh, I should have said something or, oh, I don't know what to say. It turns out Nobody gives me a script for this, kids. Or, yeah, or you just, maybe you do know what to say, but you think this is a place where he's got to figure this out for mm-hmm. himself. As a pastor, you have a lot of those moments, even up to, like, how should I propose to this girl? What should I say to her? And part of your pastoral <laughs> pastoral instinct is to be like, well, you say this and talk to her this way. And then you step back and you think, wait a minute, no, you're the man. Yeah. She's the girl. It's your job to figure this out, man. You've got to woo her. You've got to get her to say yes. I'm not doing this for you. I'm not helping you. Right. <laughs> and there's a balance there, right? You want to give the guy counsel and the, give him the encouragement that he needs. On the other hand, like, let him have the success of having done it on his own and figured it out on his own. Right. <laughs> a, a, a very vivid example of that actual thing happening popped into my brain, which is why I told that story. But, right. But it's a very similar kind of 
kind of thing. Did you think that he was supposed to be a bad dad that became a good dad through the adventure? Or I think they're both, Will and Charles, are sort of in the same same boat of, you don't want to call him a, a bad dad and you don't want to call Will a, a bad kid by any stretch, but they both have real weaknesses and... They both need to engage and face down their fears and their timidity and their insecurities and their passivity. Yep. Uh, Dark and Cougar's pandemonium shadow show, show yeah. or whatever it's called Provides was just the occasion, <laughs> just, the <laughs> <laughs> just the thing they needed. You know, right? Yeah, that would be that was my answer. Is not a he's not a bad dad mm-hmm. at the beginning. He's just he's a weak dad. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I think God does. Is brings adver- I think he brings adversity into our. Uh, this is this you know on a grand writ large writ large scale, yeah. but 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 God brings adversity into our lives at those places and at those times, and we have we have a choice. How are we going to respond to that adversity? But that's what makes us who we are, and that's what proves the work of His Spirit in us, and that's when and how we grow. And whether it's suffering or evil that we have to face some kind of adversity. And so I'm not trying to say that Bradbury's trying to write us, you know, that some kind of spiritual allegory, but I do think that that's just common human experience and we need that. We need that adversity. And so, yeah, I, I think without that adversity, yeah, maybe Charles is a, is a bad dad, but, um, he does rise to the occasion. He, he rises to the occasion. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I have to admit, um, is a little difficult for me to talk about. I did not remember this being like much of a father and son story. Mostly what I remembered is Cougar and Dark's Pandemonium Sideshow and all the cool horror stuff that I liked. But that stuff really felt much less like it was a, like a lot of the book is a f- just a father and son kind of coming of age story. Mm-hmm. Like there's really the sort of creepy stuff is vivid enough that yeah of course it's what stayed with me and what stays you kind of what jumps out at you but it's really it's the other stuff that's the meat of the story really that's what was most surprising for me i think yeah i was expecting i wasn't expecting that yeah i have to admit it was i don't really know how to talk about it but it was well I, i guess i could just say this i actually ended up I didn't remember the book being like this. I didn't, it didn't strike me. I guess I was just too young or something. Maybe I hadn't really come to grips with it, but I ended up like, uh, it's not that I think it's like the best written book about fathers and sons ever. We've read a couple that I, that are way better, but this one, it actually struck home. It's like, I've now had the experience of having this book be really personal twice, but for completely different reasons. Mm-hmm. I ended up, uh, I listened to this book on, uh, audible and uh, I ended up crying through a lot of it because it was such powerful um, wish fulfillment, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just like, um, I, I never know how much to talk about these kinds of things, but without saying too much, my dad wasn't always there. It's just a nice, it's just nice to think that, it's just a nice, nice to live it through the story. There's nobody in the world that you'd want to save you from the monsters more than your dad, you know? I mean, it's just like a, it would just be, uh, it would be cool. That's, it's, it's, I just think there must be a lot of people who read this story and are really struck by it in that way, which didn't strike me the first time, really. But yeah, I mean, it's like Jake was saying, it's wonderful to think that some kind of something, some monsters would show up and you wouldn't want anyone else in the world to be there to, protect you and take the bullet for you and fight the monsters but 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 your dad and to this day and then yeah yeah to this day yeah i'd you know 
<laughs> I, you know, I'd rather face down the monsters with my dad and us both go down than just about anything else. If that's <laughs> the way it had to happen. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, or to sit there and hear him tell you about the mysteries of life. Yeah, the, yeah. Porch, the porch scene was really nice. It reminded me a little bit. It wasn't well, as powerful as the East of Eden scene. You know. I was thinking even of the scene in the library. And Will says something like that. I didn't know you could talk like yeah, this. He says, go on, Dad. Yeah. There's and, just these know. things that the dad never realized. And then Dad that. stops making sense for a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah and Will Dad's gets lost. Like, the clutch of women's <laughs> thighs. He's <laughs> like, one in 3,000 of those sentences made sense. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the back porch scene is the, it does make you think a little bit of Cal at the breakfast table. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it, it doesn't measure up to it. No, 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 no. It doesn't. It and doesn't. it can't. It's, it, it's why not. would it? But uh, you know, and then Bradbury even maybe lays it on a little thick with the dad climbing the 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 rails, but are running the, with them at the end. Um, and they all slap the thing at the end. But but, but you're right, Brent. Like when you say like it's a John Wayne moment when Charles Holloway shows up to kill the witch. Absolutely. And it's not just John Wayne, but it's like, what if your dad was John Wayne? And what if you never knew that he was John Wayne, but he was just some passive librarian guy that lived in his head, you know, as, as so many of our dads are in one way or another. And then you suddenly realized, oh, he's awesome. Even with his ruined hand, he can go up there and still stand down evil. I mean, I guess that's, I guess that's how God made the world. Why wouldn't you want your dad to be the guy? There's something pretty powerful that Ray Bradbury tapped into, I thought. It was really sweet. I actually didn't know. I, didn't, I, I even felt a little bit wrong about reading it. I was like, is this too much wish fulfillment? Like, is, is, this, is, is Ray Bradbury actually Mr. Dark now giving me some, an alternate history for my whole entire life that, oh, man, I would kill. I would kill for that. I would give my right arm for that to have something wicked this way comes be my life have my dad walk through that door in you know where we're podcasting right now and say i'm gonna save you from the monsters or whatever i i i you know it almost felt sick mm. but i don't know maybe it's good it's it's, it's nice you know <laughs> it's weird that none of that none of that stuff in the book jumped out at me this but reading it again it was just like wow jumped out at me for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you've got two father figures, really, and they're both enticing in their way. I mean, Mr. Dark is the other one, and um, Mr. Dark's pretty cool, you know? <laughs> he's got a cool cat. Yeah, he's a cool cat. <laughs> he's, got his, uh, he's got his carousel. I guess, I guess we'll go around the room. I guess we've decided that Jake is Will, and I'm Jim, and... Uh, your Brandon's Mr. Dark. <laughs> Your pterodactyl tattoo has been yeah. writhing quite a bit. This, um, t- I, the reason that I like horror stories, it's not really a very good reason, but I think it's it's a very human one. Is because I don't want to be surprised by anything. If I'm gonna walk down a supermarket aisle and walk past Jake Men's Killer, who's a silent killer. I want to know that Jake Menskiller is a silent killer and I want to be able to see it in his eyes. I want to be able to see it in his eyes. I want to know who the Mr. Darks are and I want to be able to recognize them and I want to be able to hide from them or fight them or do whatever I have to do. But I do not want to be taken by surprise by the Mr. Darks of the world. And so you always want that knowledge of the forbidden because you think it'll give you power. And that's what Mr. Dark offers in the book, you know, Mm -hmm. is that's what Jim wants. He just wants to be older and to know what it is that people know. And that's... Is, in fact, what the serpent offered. Right. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) Not to put too... No, I think you should put too fine a point on it. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, 
anything anybody else want to say about this book that dust witch sure was creepy she can't see she weaves her hands no i think i've said everything i've wanted to say all right so would you guys give uh something wicked this way comes the bookening seal of approval one thing one thing related to the seal of approval i think is worth saying is that as far as horror goes if we're going to call it horror sci-fi fantasy i guess is what we called it before Mm -hmm. but there's not gore there's not gratuitous violence there's not no sexuality really there's only the the vague hints of sexuality that are necessary for the story i think the peeping toms that's only enough to make like your most tight-laced fundamentalist the whole whole point of that is to just these guys really are coming of age and here's an illustration jim is drawn and intrigued and will is a little uneasy and sort of repulsion would rather not Mm -hmm. He'd, he'd rather cling to his innocence and that's just a another, you know, the 13-year-old boys, for goodness sake. This, <laughs> this is, their sexual awakening is a part, and so I think it's pretty subtly done. Yeah, it's nice all. that they, it's Especially weird that for they, the genre, for they live goodness in an, sake. In it could nest. be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> They live in an innocent enough time that it wasn't a stash of porn in the woods or whatever, which is kind of weird, actually. That I guess this would have been right around the... T- this book probably would have came out right around the time that Playboy magazine came out. There you go. Yeah. I don't... I, uh, this is this i i kind of divide horror into in my brain into different schools and this is definitely from the creepy twilight zone school if it is scary it's only scary in a sort of a nice way i almost want to say and like a, ooh, the, you know a campfire story kind of uh oh that was spooky fun way it's a lot different than it doesn't even really belong in the same bookshelf with the kind of grotesque body horror kind of pushing you to the limits of what human depravity and yeah. um but who needs that stuff yeah no i'm not that stuff's junk you know it's kind of torture porny kind of stuff is uh this is this is it's you, not that at all no it's not that at all it's it's a fun weird dark fantasy story i'd let my 13 14 year old boy read it what do you think you think your kids will read that jake yeah i think so we ought to have them on the bookening sometime i guess give it some time I'll give it some time. I'm not, I wasn't, we'll give it a year. We've still got, well, Ellie and Peter are only 10. Yeah. Uh, Peter's nine. I wonder right. if, whether Peter would like this better or worse than Boys of Blur. Hard telling. With Hard him. telling. All right, the BSOA. Give it, I give it the BSOA. Full BSOA. No qualifications BSOA, required. No qualifications. Yeah. Hardy BSOA. A hearty BSOA. An, an HBOSA. Yeah. A whole hearty spooky bsoa <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i forgot all about the halloween puns oh, no. bso <laughs> seal rhymes with oh no what's the scary version of the bookening seal of squeal oh yeah <laughs> jake's done it <laughs> yes good job jake do you guys give it the bookening squeal of approval <laughs> it's not very scary but it's better than nothing <laughs> Sounds like Charlotte's Web. <laughs> yeah, I give it the squeal of approval. I do too. Yeah, I give it the squeal of approval. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Happy Halloween. If don't eat any apples with razor blades in them, even though that's an urban legend, there's never been any apples with razor blades in them. There probably have been apples with razor blades in them for one reason or another, but no one's ever actually given them out as Halloween gifts. Unless you start. Unless you start. No, please don't start the trend. The booketing does not approve of uh, putting apple blades in razors. Apple (laughs) blades in razors.
The Booking Today was written and produced by Nathan Alberson. It was performed by... Or, the Booking Today was written and produced by Nathan Alberson. It was performed by Brandon Chastfiend and Jake Mentzkiller, the man who kills in silence. But he podcasts with sound, including the sound of Sanity, a wonderful podcast you can listen to. You can always also rate that on iTunes. You can rate The Booking on iTunes. You can rate everything on iTunes that we do and rate it well. Give it five stars and go to Facebook, Twitter, and other places. Uh, do us the honor of putting stars there. Until next time, everyone, stay sane. I'm getting my podcasts mixed up. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.